0: Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christlikeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. The easiest way to connect with us from right where you are is by downloading our free Real Life Community app from your app store. You can also find us at reallifecommunity.org and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Uh. Good to be together today and we um, have been in the series on Revelation for a little bit. We're going to be in here for a little bit longer and today we're in Revelation chapters 8 and 9. If you brought your Bibles or want to turn there on your phone apps, or however you access the Bible. uh, That would be great. I want to give you a little recap because the storyline of Revelation is important as we continue to move through it. And so I want us to make sure that every week when we encounter it and engage with it, we have our bearings with where we are. So if you'll rewind a couple of uh, chapters ago, we found that there was this scroll in the heavens that was sealed shut. And this scroll represents the plans of God that are moving creation towards the final day when God judges and casts aside evil and restores and renews all of creation and the heavens join together with the earth and God is the center on the throne and, uh, and Christ is worshiped and, and there's this great wedding day of, the, of Jesus and his bride, the church. And so that's where we're moving. The scroll represents how we get there, but the scroll is sealed shut. Nobody can open the seal except for they find the lamb who was slain and has come back to life, referring to Jesus there. And he takes the scroll and last week we began to talk about how he's the one who can begin to peel off these seals and break these seals and unfold the scroll to move us towards God's final day of restoration and new creation Uh, unfortunately we find that these seals as they're breaking we have to go through some trouble to get there it's not just this straight shot of easy uh, smooth sailing for the people of God there tends to be these disasters that we have to live through and trouble and trials and tribulations and each seal uh, represents it seems like something like that that's happening in the world that moves us in that direction now uh, in chapter 7 right before we get to chapter 8 today we find that there's this break from the seals we open Jesus opens seven of these seals and then John who's writing the revelation sees this pause and the breaking of the seals and heaven just begins to worship uh, and, and there's this great worship service and all the elders and, and um, the, the creatures around the throne are falling down and worshiping. And we see this picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. Which is a great image to remember uh, when the church is living through trials and tribulation and dry seasons and valleys. To remember that our Savior comes alongside of us in those dark times and is still leading us through and will bring us ultimately to a place of God's rest and abundance and promise and goodness and rivers and milk and honey and all those wonderful things that the shepherd is still there. Now, that's the scene going on in heaven before we get to the seventh final seal. And then chapter eight begins with the seventh seal being broken and the seal is broken and what we find is that there is silence that falls over heaven for about a half an hour, about a half an hour. Uh, up to this point, heaven has not been silent. There's always activity going on in heaven and some creature or some elder or somebody, some angel shouting praises to God and bowing down and, and it's, we're told this 24 seven kind of like exaltation of God um, before the throne there and around the throne. And yet when the seventh seal is broken, on the scroll, all of heaven falls silent. We're told that the seven angels before the throne are given seven trumpets, and we'll get into those seven trumpets in a little bit. But then there's this other angel that comes, and this angel is holding a golden censer. Does anybody know? Just show a hand. Do, do you guys know what a censer is, a golden censer? No, I didn't either. I had to look it up. Uh, And and what it is, is because like my Protestant evangelical uh, guy who grew up without like priests that walked down the aisles swinging these golden kind of bowls that had incense in them. Now, do you know what I'm talking about? Like in the Catholic church or whatever, and they would start a service and they're swinging these golden bowls. They, they call it a censer and it's filled with incense and the incense rises up and it fills the sanctuary as they walk towards the altar. And that, that incense represents the prayers of God's people that are rising up to the heavens right and so this other angel comes he's got this golden censer you can imagine him waving it before the altar of God and it's full of incense it's got so much incense in in it because it's all of the prayers of God's people here's what it says Revelation chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people and he gave that on the golden altar in front of the throne the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand guys let me just pause here the message is going to end up going in a totally different direction but I do want to pause you because this is really an interesting really cool concept heaven has been a rock concert up to this point. I mean, it's been 105, 110 decibels, airstrip kind of volume, uh, like, you know, U2 in a, in a venue, kind of like that kind of thing. Uh, it's just crazy, noisy with the praises of God. And the one thing that makes heaven fall silent is the prayers of God's people. Heaven falls silent for about a half an hour and it creates this space for the prayers of God's people to rise up before the throne and be heard. Now think about if you're one of these early Christians that are receiving this letter to the churches about the revelation that uh, Jesus has given to John and you're living through these horrible struggles, These two things that become really important for you, one, to recognize that the powers that be on the earth are not the only powers that be, and their power is limited because there's a greater power in heaven and in the heavens all of creation is properly oriented around the throne of God so just to be aware that there is that reality that's above and beyond our current situation circumstances that we're living through that will ultimately snuff out the bad and evil that we're dealing with that's important to remember but It's also really cool for these Christians who are living through this suffering to remember that while all of that worship is going on, that worship quiets down when the prayers of God's people go up because God needs to hear what his people are saying. And all of those prayers All of your prayers, all of my prayers, all of the people who have come before God and all of those days between Revelation and now and will come ahead, those prayers all rise up to God. And here's another cool thing. We find out that the scroll isn't unsealed and the activity of God doesn't go forward apart from or without the prayers of God's people. This is like a hinge pin. This is a turning point in Revelation. The prayers go up to the throne of God. They are heard and God is moved to the point where the angel takes this censer that was filled with incense and he he takes fire from the altar of God and then these prayers of God are then cast down to the earth full of the fire of the altar of God and this is where we begin to see the scenes of God's judgment on the evil that is running rampant in the world. in the world that these Christians are dealing with and going through will not escape the judgment of God. There are these prayers going up. God, we're suffering. God, there are people taking our lives. There are people burning our houses down. There are people refusing to let us to come into areas of commerce unless we bend a knee to Caesar. What will you do about this, God? And the prayers are cast down in judgment then upon the earth and the judgment comes in the form of, of angels blowing trumpets. This is John's stylized way of telling us that God is going to deal with the rampant sin and evil and rebellion in the world. And so we find that the first angel is given freedom to blow his trumpet and and it gets really, really ugly, really fast as you read through chapter eight and into chapter nine, as these angels begin blowing trumpets. The first angel blows his trumpet and hail and fire and blood are poured out upon the earth and a third of the earth is burned away. The second angel comes, blows his trumpet. And again, these trumpets are the trumpets that represent God's judgment on rebellious portions of humanity. It's not that there's an exact third of of humanity that needs to be judged. These are stylized versions of just saying, hey, the evil is going to get pruned. It's going to get judged. It's going to get taken care of. And so the second angel uh, blows his trumpet and that image is a burning, something like a burning mountain that's thrown into the sea. and a third of the sea creatures die. A third of his ships are destroyed. The sea turns to blood. Do you remember another time in the story of the scriptures when the water turns red like blood? Do you remember this? Think, begin to think back to the Exodus story and remember that Exodus story because it's going to come into play. This is where it's all going. John's uh, pulling on the imagery from the Exodus story. The third angel blows his trumpet and a star falls from heaven and it falls on the rivers and a third of the waters turn bitter. That also uh, happens in, somewhere in the Exodus story there. And many die from drinking it. And then the fourth angel blows his trumpet and a third of the sun is struck. A third of the moon, a third of the stars, uh, a third of them become, uh, of, their, of their light becomes dark. And so a third of the day is dark. A third of the night is without any kind of light at all. These are the trumpets of judgment on the rebellious runaway evil forces and powers of God uh, of of the world that's gone away from God being blown and proclaimed and announced and then we have this pause the same kind of thing happened when Jesus was breaking the seals you had a pause between the fourth and the fifth and then and then the the uh, fifth and sixth trumpets are going to do something a little different. But before we get to the six, fifth and sixth trumpets, there's a pause and you've got this bird flying over the earth and And the original language is a little unclear. It could refer to either an eagle or a vulture or a raven or something like that. Uh, so pick your bird. Uh, it's flying through the air, whatever you decide that it should be. And, and the bird speaks and the bird cries out, Whoa, whoa, woe upon the earth. For those who are left, woe upon the earth. And And then the fifth angel blows his trumpet and trumpets five and six are these highly stylized pictures of, I think, just kind of like evil being unleashed on the world. It's almost like God um, takes this moment and says, "Okay, we've been holding back the the horrendous nature of evil in some ways. Has been locking it under the earth, or been holding it back with the rivers, or whatever. And now these angels are going to blow, and evil is going to be set free to do what evil does. And what evil does is it tears stuff up. It destroys. It it." Um, creates destruction and wreaks havoc in the world and so the scenes that we see from trumpets five and six are nightmare scenes I mean they'll give you nightmares you read through them the fifth angel blows his trumpet and it talks about a star falling from the heavens and and the star that falls from the heavens which is kind of representing this rebellious angelic figure is given the keys to the depths of the abyss and apparently there are these evil forces that have been held under uh, the earth and, and the depths of the abyss are unlocked by this fallen star and the, the, there's this smoke of evil that comes rising up out of the earth and with this smoke, there are these locust armies that come out uh, and you know, if you've been dealing with the mosquitoes this week, something like that, only like intensified by a couple uh, and, and so there are these locusts that come out and they're armored and they've got pointy teeth and they're really, really scary and, and they're by this leader and the leader John gives the name one in Hebrew and one in Greek Apollyon and Abaddon and both of them mean destroyer or destruction so these armies of evil locusts are being led by the leader of the army whose purpose is to destroy God's good world Now, this isn't God's desire for the world This is rebellious evil being let loose to do what it does for a season. You can imagine those early Christians reading this and they know, they're they're living through it. They're experiencing evil run amok and, and just being persecuted and suffering and killed and they know these are the realities that they're experiencing. And again, we're reminded this is not a detour. We're moving there. We're going to get to that final day, but we've got to go through some of these things first. The sixth trumpet blows his trump, or the sixth angel blows his trumpet, and apparently there are these four angels that have been held back by the river Euphrates, and, and these angels are angels of destruction and so finally um, this trumpet blows, and the judgment is let loose, and these angels come and they lead an army of 200 million horses, and these horses are dangerous, and they're blowing smoke and fire and sulfur out of their mouths, and their tails have mouths with, with teeth on the end of them and can bite people I mean it again nightmarish kind of stuff these judgments that are poured out on the evil that has run amok on the earth sometimes guys we can get into this kind of like deal where we flirt with evil a little bit you know what I'm talking about where we flirt with some rebellion a little bit I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna dip my toe in this, uh, in this thing that I know is not gonna bring any kind of good into the world. I'm just gonna uh, just jump into this gossip a little bit. I'm just gonna go to this website over here. I'm just gonna go this far with some alcohol. I'm just gonna do this. I'm just gonna kind of dabble with some different things that are going to end up, like their purpose isn't life-giving. We fool ourselves when we think we can buddy up to rebellion and evil and destruction in the world and just taste it, just nibble it, just walk alongside of it for a little bit. The end for all of the destructive forces in the world is an end. It's the judgment of God being poured out on these things. And this, the purpose of these things, when we think, oh yeah, it's not gonna be that bad if I just, you know, have that conversation or go that place or experience that kind of thing, it's not gonna be that bad. And yet, what Revelation is showing us here is when you play that out, when it's, when evil is given free reign to run its course, it steals and it kills and it destroys. Be aware of this, John is telling us. So we've got all these trumpets that are blown with this judgment of God. And all of this leads me to the question, I mean, how do you preach a sermon on the trumpets of judgment, you know? Uh, I wanna wanna come up and tell you good news and, you know, preach happy things. and, And yet you've got all these trumpets that are being blown. What do you do with all this destruction? I think that's a question we have to ask in seasons in Revelation. I got three quick things that I wanna say about that. Number one is that when you see scenes of judgment, leading toward the final day of ultimate judgment of evil and new creation and restoration and all these things that we want to get to, we can't ignore the seriousness of the nature of sin. It's not like we can just gloss over sin, guys. It's not like we can just hang around with it for a little while or keep it in parts of our life or just kind of buddy up to it or whatever, like I was saying. Sin has to be dealt with. And it's not like the longer we live as human beings, like, like sin becomes less and less and less. We, we sanitize it and we try and push it off to the side and we pretend that it doesn't exist at the level that it does. But the reality is there are sex trafficking rings going on in Tennessee all over the place today. There are like that kind of evil. There are dictators around the world that are killing their own people. There are wars that are going on. These kinds of things, we see them on the news and we're like, oh yeah, that's happening somewhere else or that's not that serious. But it continues to grow up and get worse and it runs rampant in the world. That kind of evil has to be dealt with. And until it is the only word That God can speak on an earth that is run amok in rebellion is the word of judgment. N.T. Wright uh, says it like this. He says, until evil has been judged, condemned, and radically uprooted from the earth, the only word the earth as a whole can hear from heaven is that of judgment. We have to take it seriously. And some of us who have experienced some effects of abuse or addiction or you know just all sorts of violence against our life or you know we can fill in the blank we need evil to be judged we know that that can't carry on we know that it can't go on into God's good creation it has to have an end somewhere and by the way when we hear the trumpets being blown one of the things we'll find in chapter nine is that all of the people who have been marked on the forehead with the seal of the Lord are protected in some way from these judgments of God. And and so they still suffer, we still suffer, we have to live through these dangers, and yet there's some sense in being claimed by God, being marked by God, protects us in some way from these judgments that are poured out onto the world. Number two, the second thing I wanna say, what do we do with all this violence is, don't mistake symbol for reality. It's real easy to go into Revelation and read about all these armored locusts and uh, with the teeth and the, the hole opening up from the earth and smoke pouring out and bowls of fire being thrown out from heaven, these kinds of things. It's easy to read those and think, Ah, what nation is he talking about there? What are the, what are the locusts represent? It must be Apache helicopters or something, you know, like uh, he must've seen something he couldn't describe. It's tempting for us to go and read these symbols as one for one kinds of things that we, if I could just figure out what that is, that would be the key that would unlock this. And I would know when that was going to happen and what that's going to represent. And this is not how John is writing to us at all. This is a highly stylized way for John to say God's judgment is coming, is here in some ways, will continue to come in some increasingly powerful ways until it is finally and ultimately cast out of creation. So these are highly stylized ways of talking about God dealing with evil in the world to purify the world, to prune the world also remember that it's not a straight line one for one series there's this repeating compounding intensifying scenes of judgment that will ultimately lead to that final expulsion of evil from God's good creation one of the things that we'll find you might get tired of hearing me say this over the next few weeks but from chapter uh, six or so through about chapter 18 in Revelation it's almost like we're, we're on one of those old sit and spins do you remember those, those toys Yeah, some of those you get who are a little older I had one on my back porch, and it's like, with a sit and spin, you remember how hard it was to get those things going the first few times around? You just, oh, you crank that thing, and you'd crawl around the first time, and then you'd put your hand around, and then you'd get going a little bit more. Revelation 6 through 18 is that kind of thing. It's not a straight line, it's not like this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and it's all new things. This is all John, from different kinds of perspectives, with different kinds of images, cranking up and recognizing that there is this increasing intensifying judgment of God that's going to be unleashed on the evil in the world until that last final battle when it's all just and and like the thunder is rolling you know uh that's the way John writes these several chapters in Revelation he starts off and you remember like on a on a playground for example a merry-go-round when it first starts going and you can see everybody's face and you have a certain perspective and then they're like push it harder and So you start going harder and eventually that merry-go-round looks different when it's spinning a little harder. And then eventually at the end, like everybody's like hanging off the side and their legs are flying off the side, you know, and the teachers are running over trying to rescue children. And, and this is kind of the way it develops in, in revelation. We see the same thing happening, the judgments of God, the battle between good and evil being played out, but we see it from different perspectives. We see it from different speeds. We see it at different intensities. And we know this because like in chapter six, the sun has already been thrown from the sky. The stars have all fallen. The mountains have all been removed. And then here we are in chapter eight and the sun's back up in the sky and a third of it's being darkened and the stars falling from the sky again and the mountains are being thrown into the sea. And this thing happens. It's like a rotating kind of thing. We see them over and over again. So not a straight line, highly symbolic, not a one for one kind of deal. Last thing, These chapters, eight and nine here in Revelation, are a rerun of the plagues. They're a rerun of the plagues in the story of the Exodus. Uh, When we read chapter eight and nine here and these trumpets are sounding, we are meant to hear God doing the same thing in creation to take us towards the end as God did with the Israelites in Egypt. It starts the same way. You remember the story of the Exodus the people cry out to God because of their suffering and slavery. How did our story here today start? With the prayers of God rising up from the censer with the incense before the altar of God. Same thing. And then in the Exodus story, God hears the prayers of his people, has compassion on them and is moved to act to set them free from the forces of evil Egypt that held them down in slavery in the world in that day. And in our story, God does the same thing. He hears the prayers and he throws down the bowl of judgment and the trumpets begin shouting and they pour out these plagues or they announce these sort of plagues. And it's not an exact one for one thing, but a lot of the things are the same. The water turns to blood. The waters turn uh, bitter. The sky is darkened. The locusts come up from the ground. Like lots of these things are the same stories as Exodus. And we have to remember that the purpose of the Exodus story is the same purpose in our stories for today. God is longing to set his people and his good creation free from the oppressive, destructive, enslaving forces of evil that are trying with their last breaths, dying to hang on to their own authority in the world. God is going to set us free. God is going to set creation free. These trumpets are blowing as a way to get there. So that's one thing we remember from the Exodus story, but also we have to remember that God's desire wasn't to put Egypt down. God's desire from the first plague was just that they would let go. That they would repent, that they would let his people go, let my people go and let them go out and worship at the mountain that I'm calling them to. That was the desire. And yet when every judgment came, do you remember what happened? Pharaoh's heart got harder because he wouldn't let go of the people. And so the next plague came and the next plague came and the next judgment came and the next judgment came until ultimately Pharaoh's heart was so hard. And by the way, this is what happens when the judgment of God comes on any of our lives and God says this, you need to repent of this. This, you need to walk away from this. This, you need to turn to me here and ask for forgiveness. When the judgment of God comes and we stiff arm God, our hearts get harder when the word of the Lord comes and we stiff arm God and say, no, I'm gonna do things my own way. I'm gonna hang on to that. I'm gonna hang on to power there. I'm gonna hang on to my own desires there. Then our hearts get harder and harder and harder. And what eventually happens? Pharaoh's heart gets so hard that this horrible plague of the killing of the firstborn of of every child, every son in Egypt is is laid out and then finally lets him go, but then he changes his mind because his heart is so hard and he runs out after them into the Red Sea and the waters cave in and it's the destruction of Pharaoh. That, you know, that's not the desire ever when the plagues come, when the judgments come, but that's where it leads if our hearts become so hard. So here's something that I want us to remember for today. We are not at the point yet where the waters have fallen in. There is still time for you and me. If you hear the judgment of God coming, the word of the Lord coming to you in your life, turn, turn to me, repent. Today is the day. Today, like the psalmist said, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. We're not there yet. You have time. Unfortunately, um, we find that uh, at the end of chapter 9, the rest of mankind, at the end of these trumpets, who were not killed by these plagues, still didn't repent of the work of their hands. They didn't stop. And he goes on to talk about all the things they didn't stop. They didn't stop their uh, witchcraft and their magic and their uh, sexual immorality and their thefts and their murders and their worshiping of idols and demons. They didn't didn't stop rebelling against God. The judgments came and they refused to stop. So today, uh, we're gonna move towards communion in a minute. And I think it's actually helpful as we move towards communion to remember the story of the Exodus because communion comes out of the story of the Exodus. It comes out of that Passover when the blood of the lamb was put over the doorposts of the Israelite people before the angel went through and struck down the firstborn uh, to ultimately set the people of God free. And that that blood of the lamb over the doorpost protected the people of God that he was rescuing. Generations later, Jesus took that story and redefined it in himself. He took the elements while they were celebrating the Passover meal, which represented their deliverance from slavery and and their deliverance into freedom uh, and the judgment of evil in the world that was keeping them in that situation. And they, they shared the Passover meal. And Jesus said, now, when you take this, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body. Broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. When you eat this, when you drink this, remember me. And the next day, he gave his life for our freedom. He took the judgment of God upon himself for our sins and for our rebellion. So Jesus becomes our way to freedom. As you come this morning, as you receive the elements, we remember that Jesus is our way to freedom today. He is our way to freedom, and He is the source of life that sees us through the judgment today. I hope that you will be able to rejoice in that as you receive communion, and I also hope today that if God's putting his finger on an area of your life or maybe your life as a whole maybe you've just been living in rebellion for a while and you know it and it's time today today do not harden your heart give that over to God let the blood of Jesus be applied to that and let it lead you to freedom and life would you stand